Well, imagine this scene. I'll take you back uh, 2,000 years to the time of Jesus. Uh, the host has announced that dinner is ready. And in first century, the table would have been in a U-shaped. And at one end, the, head, the, the host the head would have sat, or the host would have sat at the head, and then on his right would have been the most honored guest, and on his left would be the second most honored person, and on down the U, everyone would have sat in order of rank and honor. We sort of have it a little bit in our culture, you know, you've got the main table, and then you've got the kids' table, and so it would have been ranked all the way down like that. And so the host says dinner is ready, and Jesus is standing back. And he's watching everyone scramble to get the best places at the table. Maybe not everyone's scrambling for the number one spot, but here's what you know. No one wants to sit at the kids' table. You know, no one wants to be all the way down there at the end. So I got to get, you know, middle ground here. I got to get upper middle. I certainly don't want lower middle. I don't want to be at the end. And Jesus, what Luke records, is he's just standing back watching this scramble, watching the scramble for position and for status and for ranking and seeing how everyone is going to sort of work themselves out, right? I want to be honored and I want a good seat and I want to be respected amongst my peers. Now, as you think about that for a moment, you may say, you know, hey, we sort of saved that problem in our day and age. We have assigned seats. You know, we don't have the, the scramble for that. And so at first glance, you could think, oh, that's not very relevant. You know, we don't, we don't do that at dinner tables. But just think for a moment, if Jesus was just to step back in other areas of our culture, just step back over different social situations and just watch people, where might we see a scramble for people trying to get honor, for get attention, to say, you know, I deserve to be recognized? Let me give some suggestions, see if you might see what Jesus might see. Let's say Jesus was to step back and look over the social media landscape. Might he see anyone there scrambling for attention, scrambling to be noticed? Just potentially could he see maybe one or two people there? In fact, in the social media world, we, we just get to quantify it, don't we? How many likes did you get? How many shares do you have? How many followers do you have? Jesus can just look back right over that. And if he was to look back sort of over the, the scope of culture, generally, North American culture, and he was to look at what people drive or where people live or what clothes they wear or what jewelry they choose, do you think it's possible he could see some people making some choices that may seek to elevate themselves? You know, choosing a certain car or a certain outfit or certain attire different reasons to sort of lift themselves up to say, hey, look at me, look at me. Now, those are two general ones, but I bet if you think a little bit more specifically where you spend most of the time during the week, if you're in school or you're at work, anybody, any chance that if Jesus was to come to your school or your friend group, your work environment, just sort of take a scan over there that he might see a few people who are trying to seek some honor. You know, I deserve attention. I deserve a promotion. Some people trying to promote themselves. Any chance in that environment, he might see a few people. Here's what I think you know as you process this, is you know exactly what I'm talking about. 
It may not be a dinner table where people are scrambling for the best seats, but you know exactly the type of scenario we have, whether it be social media, somewhere in our culture, or somewhere uh, you operate during the week. Now, you may have a specific person in mind. You've got like the exact person. You're like, oh yes, and I have a name with this person. You may not have a specific name, but you still know what's happening. And so we look in on Jesus in this story, and we see what happened in his day as part of the human condition, and it happens in our society, in our culture, and we see it so obviously in others. But here's what I've entitled this morning, because this is so easy to spot in others. Just you can identify it right away. But here's what I've entitled this morning. We see when other people promote themselves. But my title is this, Self-Promoters Anonymous. Self-promoters anonymous. Because I thought, you know, I didn't want to just call us all self-promoters. You may push back on me and say, no, I see it in other people. It's certainly not me, Jeff. So I thought we'd call ourselves self-promoters anonymous. That way you don't have to admit that you are. You can keep it a secret, and you can really listen to this message as if it's about other people. And if in any way along the way you ever might see yourself being a self-promoter, then you can say you're part of that group there. So that's where we're headed today for anyone, Self-Promoters Anonymous. Now, it may seem like a strange message for Volunteer Appreciation Sunday. It may seem like exactly the wrong message for this day. But let me say, as Jesus tells us something not to do, he also gives an alternative. And I think as you see the, the alternative... Many of you, as you volunteer, are living that out. You're living their lives that way. And so that's why we're here, and I think it gives me an opportunity to encourage you. So my hope and prayer today is that for anyone, whoever might be a self-promoter in the anonymous category, we may learn something, but ultimately be encouraged to live the way Jesus has called us to live. So let me just do a uh, few things here this morning as we begin. One is I'm looking over to my left here, and I'm seeing Paul and Julia Griffith with a whole group of people there, their family. Paul has been a beloved friend and a wise and faithful elder, and they have their whole family with them because they're celebrating 50 years of, wedding, of their wedding anniversary. Congratulations. Congratulations, Paul. Uh, my name is Jeff Bennett. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at Harbor. Harbor Online, welcome. Great to see you this morning, and thanks for being a part of all that God is doing here. Just join with me in a brief word of prayer as we begin today. Uh, God, your word says that when your word goes forth, it never returns empty. And so, God, we pray that today. May your word accomplish what you desire in our lives. God, may your word achieve the purposes that you have for each of us and our church. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, little, we're in Luke chapter 14. So if you've got your Bibles, please grab those. We will sort of work through what we would normally work through. And then I will end as I normally end. And then the staff at the very end of the service, actually after the service is over, but we'll still all stay for it, have got a little thing for you. And hopefully it will make you smile slightly. That's where we're headed today. Here's the outline for Self-Promoters Anonymous. If you want... Three things. One is we're going to see two things Jesus says to not do. Do not do these two things. Then he's going to say one thing we should do. And then at the end we'll see one overarching principle. 
Jesus moves from just social relationships a little bit higher and gives us an overarching spiritual principle. So two do-nots, one to do, and then the overarching principle. We're in Luke chapter 14. whole bunch of verse, first four, 24, 24 verses are all done at a dinner party. There's three really teachings there. We're going to skip down to verse 7, which is the second teaching. We sort of already covered the first one earlier in our series through Luke. And so let me read verses 7 and 8. You'll see the setup and then you'll see the first thing that Jesus says to not do. Actually, let me just show you the principle, and here's the first principle. Do not push. If you're self-promoters anonymous, don't push. Let me show you where that is. Luke chapter 14, verse 7. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. So Jesus is watching at this dinner party, dinner is served, and then he sees what's going on. So he tells this parable, a story with a purpose, a story with a principle, and he sort of ups the ante. He says, if you ever go to a wedding feast, and again, it would have been the same setup at a wedding, and then he gives this principle, do not take the place of honor. Do not try to move up and take that place of honor. I've simply called the general principle, don't push. What Jesus is generally saying here is don't push to elevate yourself. Don't showcase your resume. Don't assert your accomplishments. Don't try to brag. Don't make a whole list of all the things you've done. Don't say, here's what I deserve. Don't say, here's how good I am. Don't say all all that I deserve and look at me and sort of build yourself up. That's the general principle that Jesus is giving when he says don't take the place of honor. For those of you watching at home, I'm going to give a YouTube video right now, but please stay with us. You can watch the YouTube video in a moment, but there's a YouTube video that sort of sums up this whole point of the message, and it's, um, it's at the Atlanta Braves Baseball Stadium, and the title of the video, if you want to Google it later, is Fan Falls During Race Against the Freeze. Fan falls during race against the freeze. And what the Atlanta Braves did in one, I guess, between the innings is they called a fan out of the audience who thought he was fast. And he's going to race this man called the Freeze. And he's in this costume. And you just look at the costume and he seems like he's very fast indeed. And so they let the unsuspecting fan out of the audience. They say, we'll give you what the announcer says is a 200 meter head start. We'll let you head out 200 meters. And it looks like to be about a 200, oh, 200 feet head start. And it looks like it's about 200 meter, 250 meter dash that they're going to go in. So the guy starts out and he's going, well, now you already know what's going to happen. Right, you know how this plays itself out. They give the guy a head start, but the freeze is very fast, and he looks fast. And then he catches up, and the crowd goes wild as they see the freeze closing in on the fan, and then he crosses the finish line before the fan. That's what you all know is going to happen, and that's exactly what is going to happen. But the reason this video gets a million views is the one person who didn't understand what was going to happen is the unsuspecting fan. And he heads out, and he's in the lead, and he's doing well, and he gets about 20 feet from the goal line, and he thinks he's going to beat the freeze. And we know he thinks he's going to beat the freeze because he starts going like this. He's like, hey, everyone, cheer for me. I'm going to win this race. And he's just motioning upward. And then as he's doing that about the third time, just out of the corner of his eye, 
he begins to see the freeze coming up on him. And you can just see a momentarily moment of panic in his face. You know what he's thinking. And then as the freeze begins to pass him, he thinks he's got to pick up speed, but his arms are still in the air. And so he tries to pick up speed, but he ends up doing this wonderful face plant, like he's diving into second base. Right there in the dirt, slides along, and the freeze goes by him and wins. And then the announcer is a little bit savage. What the announcer says is that's where he belongs, right? in the dirt. Yeah, yeah. But, but there's the principle. There's the principle. You know, the reason the video gets a million views is not because he lost the race. We all knew that was going to happen. We all knew that was fairly obvious right from the beginning. The reason the video gets a million views is because he tried to elevate himself. Right? He tried to push himself forward. And we have even a phrase in the English language that simply says this, don't toot your own horn. He learned that lesson in a very painful way, still on YouTube. And here's what we know. When we try to push ourselves forward, why was the announcer so savage? Because we know that when we do that, people don't like us. They come to resent us a little bit. You know, the self-promoter at work actually is the one who never gets promoted because everyone sort of turns sour towards him. So the first principle this morning is don't push. Don't try to elevate yourself. And then let me just be real practical. If you're with someone this week who is doing just that, how might you respond when you're with someone who says, look at me, I deserve all this praise and honor. Let me give some suggestions. When you're with someone who elevates themselves, when someone else is pushing themselves up, don't try to keep up. Don't try to keep up. Don't try to brag. When someone name drops, you know, look at me, look who I know. Just enjoy the story. They know someone famous. Don't compare. Don't compete. When someone makes you feel low by elevating themselves, be content. Don't compare. Just be satisfied in the moment. That's the first principle. Don't push. Don't push. Here's the second principle. It just follows in what Jesus is saying. Don't presume. Don't presume. Let me read it for you. Do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. So here's the scenario that Jesus picks. This person has tried to get in the place of honor. They've sort of fought their way through at the wedding feast. They've gotten to one of the really, or even the best place of honor. But now suddenly an unexpected wedding guest shows up. And of course, everybody knows this person is very honorable. So what's the host going to do? He's like, oh, I got to get this guy a good seat. So he looks around to this person who fought his way to get the best seat. And he comes over and puts his arm around him. He says, hey, sorry, this guy's here. I'm going to have to give him your seat. And, then, and, you, and this person's sort of looking at the host like, oh, no, this is not good. And then the host says, oh, I'll find you a seat. And then he looks around and he says, oh, way down there at the kids' table. Just, you know, walk on down there. Sit with Junior. It'll be great. You'll enjoy the wedding. Right? And so then, this person has like this walk of shame. You know, in a shame-honor culture, this would have been significant all the way down to the end. The public embarrassment of that. Now, as you understand what's happening, think of it in these terms. How did that happen? 
How did this come to be the case? Both in this situation or also our friend at the baseball stadium. No one gets up in the morning and says, hey, today I'll make some choices that will leave me to be publicly disgraced. That's the goal for the day. What could I do to just embarrass myself in front of a whole large group of people? No one gets up with that goal, but yet in both cases, that has happened. Here's how that unfolds. If you look at what Jesus says in verse 7, he says, someone more important than you may be invited. May be invited. And if so. So Jesus is giving sort of a, if it could happen. And here's what we know. When we push ourselves, when we try to elevate and get our own honor, sometimes that works. Or sometimes nothing bad happens. But on occasion... This happens. It doesn't happen all the time. But when it's not happening, we think it's a strategy that's working. And the more we elevate ourselves, the more we become blind to who we really are. Why did the man take the number one seat? Because he became blind to give himself an honest self-assessment. He overestimated his own importance. Why did the man running in the baseball stadium, why did he raise his hands? He had presumed he was a faster runner than the freeze, right? He didn't able to give himself an honest self-assessment, and that led to his failure. That's what Jesus is saying, led to the humiliation. When we say, I deserve this. I'm the most honored person. I'm the most deserving person. It can all honestly and often, not every time, but it does backfire. That's why the advice is don't presume. Don't presume. Let me tell you a story from my world, the church world. Again, because it's the world I live in, you can apply this to your own context. This is not a Niagara story, but many or several years ago, uh, a friend of mine came to me and he said, he told me a story of a church he said, Jeff, at the church, there was a beloved senior pastor, and there was a large staff, but there was also a beloved junior pastor. People really loved the junior pastor. They loved his ministry, always encouraged him, always appreciated him. He was doing a good work there. God was using him. The beloved senior pastor left the church, was no longer there. And so the beloved junior pastor amongst the staff began to feel like maybe he should be the next lead pastor. He should be the senior pastor of the church. And so as he was praying over that, he sought to go get advice from someone. And the person he got advice from was someone I knew a little bit and my friend knew a little bit. And the person he went to get advice from said this, if you feel you should be the next leader, then tell the team who's looking for the pastor, tell the elders that you want to be the church, the next senior pastor, and tell Tell the church that you want to be the next senior pastor. And so, as far as I understand it, he did all that, and he was part of the speaking rotation on a Sunday morning. And at some point during his message or at the end, he said, I just want to let you know I've put my name in to be the next senior pastor of the church. Now, my friend asked me, Jeff, what do you think about that advice? What do you think about the advice? What would you say? And by God's grace, I had just been reading this story. So I was much wiser in that moment than I would normally be. And I said to my friend, I said, well, you know what? Jesus says that doesn't end very well. He said, what do you mean? I don't remember Jesus talking about senior pastor transitions. And I said, no, it's not that. It's about wedding feasts. But it's the same principle. It's the same principle. And I don't need to tell you the story about how it ended for the junior pastor. That church loved him. They appreciated him. But here's what they all knew. He wasn't ready to lead such a large church. He wasn't ready. He wasn't ready for that. They loved his ministry. And over maybe the next 10 years, he would be. But when he announced himself, 
They knew that he was not ready. And so what happens? You know, they hired another great senior pastor, and that young junior pastor was embarrassed. He was humiliated, and not long after the senior pastor came, he no longer was ministering there. Here's the principle. Don't presume. Let me say it till I, let me tell you how I told it to myself this week, and I'll say it to myself first, and then I'll say it to you. First, here's how I said it to me. Jeff, you're not as good as you think you are. Right? Jeff, you're not as good as you think you are. That, you all agree with that. But now let me say it with you. Let me say it to you. This is harder. You're, you may not be as good as you think you are. You may not be as good as you think you are. Don't presume. Don't presume. And when we think that we deserve something, when we start looking down on other people, we can just be blind to our own honest self-assessment. So what does Jesus say to people seeking status? Actually, the first two principles are quite easy. Don't push and don't presume. Here's what you have to do to apply those. Actually, you don't have to do anything. You just have to be still, right? Just don't move, don't speak. You know, again, it's harder said than done. There's a lot of internal work, but these two, yet they have no action. It's the third principle here that now is the do. This gives us the action. Jesus, if this is what I'm not to do, then here's what I am to do, and here's how I said it. Lessen yourself. I could have said lower yourself, decrease yourself, forget yourself. They're all about in the same category. I just went with lesson. I couldn't think of a P word, so lessen yourself is good. And here's then what Jesus says in Luke 14, verse 10. But when you are invited, take the lowest place. It's Jesus' way of saying, move lower, you know, move down, lessen yourself. But it's very interesting what Jesus says. Look, look what he says. He doesn't say, take, you know, you think of the average place and take one slightly lower, you know, sort of get yourself in the bottom half. He actually says, take the lowest place. Take the lowest place. Here's what he's saying. Take the last place. Sit at the kids' table. Make an intentional effort, an active choice to pursue a position and state and status that has the least honor attached with it. Purposely and distinctively move lower. That's what Jesus says. Take the lowest place. Now, you can do a wonderful test in your heart right now. Wonderful test as you're thinking about this. Your emotional pushback to that sort of shows how much pushing and presuming you do in your life. If you're like, okay, that's easy, I can do that. If you're like, oh, I don't really like this. Sort of a little internal test for anyone who may be in self-promoters anonymous. Here's what Jesus is saying. Make humility a lifestyle. It's not about you. Just think of Jesus. He sets back. Everyone's scrambling for position. And he's just there watching. I'll sit wherever. I'll sit wherever. Just leave me a seat. I'll just be glad to sit. It's not about him at all. It's almost like he has forgotten about himself. It's self-forgetfulness. Here's what humility is. Not thinking, it, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it is thinking of yourself less. You'll see on the side screens a quote from C.S. Lewis. In his book, Mere Christianity, here's how he described the humble person. He said this, Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be the sort of person who is always telling you that, of course, he is a nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. 
If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. A wonderful picture of what it means to lower ourselves. In 2001, Jim Collins wrote a business book. You may be familiar with it. It's called Good to Great. He surveyed companies and he did comparisons on companies. Uh, some companies that just were good and stayed good, but then other companies that went from good to great companies. And he began to look at those good to great companies and say, what were the factors that led to that good to great rise? He identified several factors. It's a fascinating read. But as he looked at the leaders, the CEOs of those companies, here's what he said was one of their number one personality traits. He simply called it personal humility. Leaders of good to great companies had a great degree of personal humility. That's what Jesus has just taught us. He said if they compared to the other companies, the other CEOs of the good companies that never had the rise, they were often egotistical, charismatic, and eager, eager to credit themselves and to blame others. But he said good to great leaders. Instead of looking in the mirror to give credit for success, they looked out the window, apportioning credit to external factors and to their colleagues. That's what Jim Collins talked about what it means to lower ourselves, to lower ourselves. Well, let me just give a couple of applications. Let me just pause. What does this actually mean to lower ourselves, to take the, lo the lowest place? And let me just say a word to our volunteers here today. So many of you who serve at Harbor, who sacrifice time and energy and emotions, we're just so grateful for that. And that's why we pause on this day to say thank you. Here's what we know just generally, and this is not a surprise to you. Our world has been in upheaval the last three or four years. I just say COVID, and that's not a surprise. So much change has happened. But as we look at our own metrics, and we see metrics in so many other churches that we have available to us, here's one thing that that has meant, this upheaval has meant. There has been an acute drop in volunteerism. Volunteerism in churches across the board is down significantly. Harbor has experienced that as well. But here's what we're encouraged by today. Our drop is not as acute as so many other drops. And so that gives us an opportunity to pause today and to say thank you. Thank you for so many of you who serve when others don't see Thank you to so many of you who take the lower place and other people don't even know you're doing it. Thank you to those who take the lower place and you deal with, other, you deal with situations graciously. And there's always situations to deal with graciously. Thank you to the so many of you who serve, who take the lower place. And it's not about yourself. It's about God and it's about his mission of making disciples. Thank you for those of you that serve behind the scenes. Thank you for those of you that serve with people in loving them and seeking to make disciples. And our heart today, and we'll see it at the end, is just our heart as a staff, as Mark said earlier, uh, that without volunteerism, without people taking the lower place, the ministry that God has called us to would not move forward. So that's how we apply it here in our volunteer context at Harbor. But let me also just then really practically, if you're in a social situation this week, what does it mean to take the lowest place? Let me sort of give you five that I think are really specific and hopefully helpful. Number one, when you're in a social situation, make sure you laugh at yourself first and not at others. When you're in a social situation, number two, 
find, spend extra time talking to the EGR person, the extra grace required person. There's always one person that needs a little extra grace. And just you take the lowest place by spending a little extra time with them. Number three, in a social situation, be the first to welcome the most different person in the group. And by different, I mean groups are normally homogeneous units. And maybe someone's different because of age or race or ethnicity. Just be the first to welcome that person. Spend an extra five minutes with them. Take the lower place. When someone spills something, number four, be the first to jump in and clean it up. Take the lower place. And number five, when you see a need, when there's a problem in any social situation, just jump in. Say, hey, how can I help? How can I serve to fix this? Those are just five ways. Practically, this week, I believe, we, you and we can take the lower place. Now, just one last thing, one sort of qualifier, then we'll go on to sort of the overarching principle. Here's what, I, here's what the question I put on the table. If you take the lowest place, does this mean that you're going to get taken advantage of? Does this mean that you're going to get walked over, to use that English phrase? Well, let's just think about that for a moment. Let's look in on what Jesus is doing here, right? We've said it. Jesus is watching all of the people scramble for the places of honor. And in that moment, he says, hey, guys, I got a little story to tell you. And you just imagine the disciples because here's what everybody knows. Jesus is rebuking them. He's doing it subtly with a story, but they all get it that he's just rebuked them. If you're the disciples, you're like, oh, Jesus, couldn't you have waited until after we ate? You know, we got invited over. Right, and now you're saying this to our host and all these people. You're just going to make the whole dinner conversation awkward. Right, you sort of know that moment. But that's what Jesus did. He spoke truth in these moments. He confronted hypocrisy. So here's the question. As Jesus is doing that, creating that awkward dinner moment by calling out selfish behavior, is Jesus a hypocrite? Is he not taking the lowest place? Well, the answer to that is no. He is not a hypocrite. You knew that. And so here's what I learned from Jesus in this moment. There is a way to speak truth and still take the lowest place. And Jesus consistently in his life always took the lowest place. There is a way to be unapologetic and still take the lowest place. There is a way to confront hypocrisy and still live in a lifestyle of humility. There's so much more I could say there, but I just wanted to mark that those two go together. And we see it in Jesus' life, working it out. Working it out can be a challenge, but I just wanted to mark that. So, what's our learning so far? What do we want to do when we want to promote ourselves? Don't push, don't presume, and then move lower. Take the lower place. Then, the last principle here that Jesus gives, look down, I'll just read it for us. So that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. At first glance, here's what Jesus is saying. Take the lower place, then the host comes, and he'll move you up to a higher place. Now, here's what you could hear. Oh, that's a wonderful strategy, right? If you're looking for honor, now I got the strategy, right? Okay, yeah, yeah, someone spills something, spill something out on the carpet. I'm going to be there. Look at me, everyone, right? Look at me. I'm going to clean extra, right? Extra grace required person. Jeff said five minutes. I'm in for 15 with this guy. You have no idea how difficult this was, but I'm here 15 minutes. Everyone look at me how wonderful I am. I'm doing great. If that's not what Jesus is saying, he's not saying this is a strategy to get honor. If you're thinking that you've missed the whole point. What Jesus is doing here is he's moving up a principle. 
He's moving up from just life, social situations, to an entire spiritual principle. You see the verse on the screen. Here, let me review it, right? If we seek to honor ourselves, if we seek to exalt ourselves, if we seek to say, this is what I deserve, if we seek to push ourselves forward, what often happens we get humbled, humiliated, and rejected. Why? Because we've pursued, we have presumed we are greater than we are. How does that work in the spiritual world? Well, here's how it works. When we come to God and we presume and push, when we say, God, look at me. Look how good I am. Look at all I've done. I deserve this. I deserve your blessing. I deserve eternity. Look at me. Look how wonderful I am. What happens? What's the principle? We miss God. When we are always looking down on others, we forget to look up and see God. And the principle is when we come to God and exalting ourselves, saying, look at my good works, we end up being humbled and humiliated and ultimately rejected. But yet, when we come to God humbly, as the verse says, when we come and realize that we have no merit of our own, God, if I had to work for your pleasure, I wouldn't deserve anything. When we come and say, God, if you're seating people at the table, the kids' table would be too good for me. I'm not even sure I could make, I know for sure I could not make the room. But when we come humbly before God, what does he do? What does he do? He exalts us. He raises us up. He forgives us. He showers us with his grace. His undeserving grace fills us with his spirit, gives us power to live, and uh, secures eternity for us. When we come humbly before God, as we are, not presuming we're better than ourselves, but just honest, it's in those moments that God meets us and exalts us. Think of the story Jesus has told. Everyone's scurrying for honor, but who ultimately gets to determine who gets the honor? Well, the story Jesus told, there's only one person who determines who gets the honor, and that is the host. And in many ways, Jesus is saying it is, or it is, it is only God who determines who gets honor. And God says, I look out for those who have humbled themselves and recognized who they are before me. And who misses this principle? Who misses this? Who misses this? It's the religious leaders of Jesus' day. It's those, if you were wanting to transfer this today, it would be those that potentially could be in church. Here's what these religious leaders were doing. They were looking out saying, I need love. I need praise. I need acceptance. Please, please love me. Please recognize me. Look how great I am. When someone is doing that, what are they doing? They're trying to prove it. They're trying to prove how acceptable and lovely and great they are. Why are those religious leaders doing that? It's because they had not found that in God. You're looking for acceptance from others because you have not found it in Christ. And so as we come to the end here today and we think about what Christ did for us on the cross, here we are so undeserving, but yet Christ loves us and dies for us. That should fill our hearts. That love and acceptance should say that matters more than anything. And if you're listening here today or you're here or online and, and you say, you know, Jeff, this is nice. I understand I don't need to push and I shouldn't presume. But yet when I go to school, when I go to work, I just, I just need to be loved. I just need acceptance. I, I just need to be recognized in front of people. Here's what, you, here's what you're saying. It's what these religious leaders experienced. Their faith made no difference to their emotional state. 
Their faith did not help them feel any more accepted. They knew religion, but they never knew Christ. They never knew the acceptance and the love of Christ through the cross. That's the gospel message. And so if you today are still saying, I just need to push, I just need to be honored in other people's eyes, can I just remind you of all the principles, just remember who you are. You know, not deserving of anything. Humble yourself before God. And when you see your state, you see what he did for you and let him love you. Let him exalt you. Take the lowest place and see Christ. See what he's done for you and receive all of that. Let me just close with a moment of uh, quiet and maybe uh, let's bow our, eye, uh, bow our heads and close our eyes. And let me just lead you in a little prayer moment here as we just wrap up our service. Maybe some of you here today would be honestly part of Self-Promoters Anonymous. And you just say, Lord, I confess that before him. Maybe some of you now realize that your life is about pursuing love and acceptance from other people, other places. And you would just simply say, Lord, help me to see your love for me. May my, may my faith make a difference to my emotional state. May it make a difference to how I perceive and pursue things in this world. Maybe for some of you here today, you've never heard this message. You think you got to work and you're, you've been discouraged that you didn't, you know, you're not good enough to receive the grace of God. And maybe this just wonderful good news that you can just accept the grace he offers as you would humble yourself. Let him even exalt you and save you in this moment. So just take a moment and say back to God where you're at and just say a, a brief prayer to him now. And so, Father, we thank you, Lord. Thank you for this wonderful principle, Lord, that when we humble ourselves before you, you exalt us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.